I don't know. I kind of kind of prefer it fresh, not spam. I haven't had spam. God, it's been 25 years since I had spam. I always saw it at the grocery store. I'm like, hey, Mom, what does it taste like? She said, oh, it's kind of like a fried bologna. I'm like, oh, I like bologna, and I tried it, and yeah, no, no. Haven't had it since then. My 25-year anniversary of having spam. <laughs> yeah, I had to do that because we're talking to a chef today and playing some Weird Al Eat It there. Hi, everybody. It's Tony Mazur here on my podcast, which is called Check Your Brain. Good to have you folks. Thank you for listening, whether you're listening now or you're subscribed. And make sure you subscribe to my Patreon. I know I kind of whore myself out a little bit with it if you are an avid listener of these podcasts, especially the free ones, but I've got plenty more content on my Patreon, just five bucks a month if you go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R. You get an extension of the Check Your Brain podcast, where I rant and rave all the time, you know, about four to five extra podcasts a week, plus early access to guests and, and interviews, so I hope you enjoy those. Please subscribe uh, if not, then I guess I'll just have to keep my day job and do this as a labor of love. <laughs> anyway, speaking of labor, let's get into talking about our guest. It's Chef Andrew Gruel. He's out in California, in Southern California, Huntington Beach to be exact. He's the owner of a restaurant called Slapfish. And uh, he's, uh, he's been somebody that he's been, I've seen him on television, the, the, uh, the food truck face-off. He was a judge on there as well as Chopped Jr. He's been on a bunch of the shows as well for a while. Uh, but he came out in the last year now with the pandemic and the restaurants getting shut down and California being a little bit more closed up until recently, California being up a little bit more closed than the rest of the country. And uh, he had a real problem with what he was noticing, this lack of, I guess, lack of science, <laughs> lack of science that you were seeing. And uh, it, was, it was really bothering him, especially when they adjusted. They said, okay, well, if we can't have out indoor dining, can we try it outdoors? And then they decided, no, 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 we're not going to. They opened outdoor dining for a little bit and then shut that down. Even though it's now been proven that outdoor transmission of this virus is so minuscule it's almost not even worth bringing up i mean that's that that's that's you want to talk about science that's pretty scientific that's the data that's out there and one of the worst videos i don't know if you remember remember seeing this and i know i'm not trying to ramble or anything i'm just giving a nice uh, preview it was several months ago maybe right around the first of the year that there's a woman who had her restaurant shut down and not just indoor but outdoor as well Yet she takes her phone, she's wearing her mask, her restaurant is shut down with the outdoor dining. Yet across the street, a Hollywood production, I don't know if it was for a movie or a television show or what have you, was able to have outdoor dining and craft services. <laughs> How are they able to operate? Oh, that's right, because Hollywood is a big tax base <laughs> for the state of California. So they could, but someone who has her own restaurant can't operate. It was a real attack on small business owners all across the country. And as you hear me mention a couple of times in this interview is, yeah, okay, so if you're Darden Restaurants, if you have a large chain of restaurants, you'll be fine during the pandemic. I mean, not as good, not as good as you were back in 2019, but you can survive. But if you're somebody who puts your heart and savings into a restaurant and paying your employees a good wage and uh, morale is high, then things shut down. 
and then now people don't want to go back to work. And that's that's uh, Chef Andrews' his other sticking point right now is now that things are reopening, his place and other places are having a problem trying to find employees. That any fast food place you go to, there's a sign on the window sometimes or on the menu that says, hey, we're not open right now. Come back later or come back tomorrow. We don't have employees. I was just at a Circle K the other day, a gas station convenience chain. And I went there, and they normally when I wake up at the crack of dawn, I go get – sometimes if I'm tired, I'll go get a Red Bull down the street. So I walk over there. I put – you know, I, I, I put the stupid mask on, even though I think right now I could probably take it off when I'm recording this. And, uh, yeah, couldn't go in there because it was closed. They didn't have any staff overnight. So, I, so they had to close. You could still get gas, but I couldn't go in there and get my amenities. And you're seeing this happen all throughout the country. So restaurants are, and, and these places are having real problems trying to staff their employees. Well, on that topic of restaurants, Andrew Gruel has a thing called 86 Restaurant Struggle, a fund helping struggling and out-of-work restaurant workers. And you can go to their website right now, which is 86struggle.com, and you can donate and it's going to go directly to these restaurant workers who have been out of work and that uh, needed a little bit to get by. Uh, you talk about people who work in restaurants. There's you, They come from a lot of walks of life. They're not just people who they, they got a job in high school and they just kept the same job. No, there's people who like working in the industry. And whether you're somebody who works on the floor and you're a very personable person, and like to talk to different people, or you're a bartender, or you're a general manager, an assistant manager, something. These people need help. So I try to I try to leave decent tips, uh, <laughs> good tips, I should say. I shouldn't say decent because that makes it seem like, oh no, I'll tip you 19% instead of my usual 18. Uh, I, I try to leave good tips and try to help these people, especially if you're at a restaurant now and you want to work. Wow, imagine that. <laughs> People people wanting to work and not sit at home and letting unemployment fill their bank accounts while they just sit on the couch and go, yeah, you know, I used to work at this time, but uh, boy, that Bridgerton show, that's a real interesting show. I've caught all the way up on it because I'm not working and I get, get paid. Isn't that amazing? So they have no incentive to work. So uh, that's one of the sticking points that, uh, that Chef Andrew Gruel has that we're going to talk about in this interview. I was only able to get him for a half hour today. He was pretty busy for this podcast, so that's why this intro is a little bit longer. You could skip ahead. I, you probably did, did the 15 to 30 second scrub through this, but if you stuck around, I appreciate it. Uh, so, but go check out, uh, if you're out in California, go check out Slapfish and uh, 86 Restaurant Struggle. So go to 86struggle.com if you want to donate a couple of bucks to help these struggling restaurant workers. And uh, while, we're on the, while we're on the topic of food, I want to end with something fun. So if you want to stick around towards the end about my food competitions. So I figured I'd try this, just a little bit of a different spin on this. I had always wanted, in the back of my mind, to become a competitive eater. I can eat quicker and more than most people, especially larger people. <laughs> uh, so... I'm going to play a quick video of one of my competitions, or at least the tail end of the competition, and just talk about my eating habits. Just to Basically, I'm going to be honest here. I'm trying to extend the podcast because in the podcasting world, I can't just put a half-hour podcast. I try to get it at least to 40 minutes, which you're going to get over 40 minutes. So 
Uh, hope you enjoy the interview. Hope you stick around towards the end. If not, then you could cut out at, you know, what, about 39 minutes in, and then, and then we'll see you next week then, I guess. So without further ado, here on the Check Your Brain podcast with me, Tony Mazer, here's my sit-down interview over the phone, 3,000 miles apart, with eat Chef it, Andrew Gruel. Joined by Chef Andrew Gruel and uh, Andrew, uh, first of all, good to have you on here from the uh, People's Republic of California, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm behind enemy lines. But but you're originally from the East Coast. You're out in California. But uh, I gotta say, you know, I'm I'm looking at this trend of all the people that are now moving out of California. They're going to Austin. They're going to Florida. Uh, it, it, I, before we get to everything, is that something you're considering down the road? Is uh, looking to uh, move zip codes here? Uh, yeah, we're definitely going to be moving zip codes at some point. However, I don't feel like running away is always going to be the answer. So I'm trying to take things head on here in California. Yeah, it's uh, the this whole thing. So getting into it, because I, I have other uh, like food related questions I want to ask you towards the end. But uh, what's kind of come out right now and uh, from when we're recording this is you're noticing this now reopening. So I, I've heard you in past interviews, especially in the last few weeks, about uh, about how restaurants, oh, chief vectors of transmission. All of a sudden now we're getting vaccines and everybody's coming back to, and now restaurants are fine. You can eat at a restaurant, everything. So th- things start really changing. And I, I got to think if you're a, a restaurateur, if you're somebody who works in that industry, we went from we got to shut down for 15 days to flatten the curve to it's been 15 months and now we've decided to change and do a 180. How, how, how do you feel about that as being somebody who's in that position where now all of a sudden, oh, now we got to reopen? And now, which leads me to my next thing, is trying to find staff to fill, my, fill the spots. Yeah, I mean, I think what's probably more frustrating about the scenario that you just described, which is the life in which we're living, is the ways in which everyone has just blindly gobbled it up and accepted it for what it is. And, you know, given given multiple passes to the people who are making these decisions in the name of, quote, science, when the reality is we're not following any science. Science is and science is as subjective as a poem these days. So we are, you know, blindly being stripped of any logic and reason in order to replace that logic and reason with emotion. And the world now is just whoever's got the loudest megaphone, microphone, and whoever can, you know, traipse out is not enough emotion. And here we are as business owners trying to operate through the calculus of now we can do X, Y, and Z, only to be hitting dead end after dead end after dead end and told, well, you know, if it only saves one life, well, and then getting smacked in the face by these emotional tyrants to say, well, you're a business owner. All you care about is profits over people. It's been one beat down after another. Um, and 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 it's it's not a surprise that so many people are throwing in the towel to say, I'm done. Um, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. And it I, and I feel bad, especially because when I remember going back to the day things started really shutting down. So I was actually in Cal. I was in L.A. And L.A. and San Diego the day, the March 11th, when the NBA shut down and Tom Hanks got COVID and everybody's freaking out. Uh, they don't know what to do. And me being conspiracy theory guy and me being somebody who's not necessarily – who's pretty libertarian and not really trustworthy of government policy in the first place, I remember that Sunday 
uh, they announced in Ohio that our governor, Mike DeWine, was going to shut the restaurants and, uh, and the bars down. And they said, well, how long? And people are thinking, ah, maybe two weeks. So it's, it's March 15th, the Ides of March, maybe by March 30th, 31st, April 1st, unless it's a big joke, April 1st, we're going to see things reopen. And it, granted, in Ohio, things reopened a lot sooner than they did, especially in more blue states like uh, California and New York. But at the time, I remember sitting there that night, I went out with my parents to a restaurant on March 15th going, this probably is going to be the last time. And I feel bad for a lot of these workers, these these employees who aren't making that much money, who have to work a couple of jobs. And not only that, the business owners, not every business is TGI Fridays. Not every business is Olive Garden where they can manage to shut down for a couple of months and it doesn't really take much of a hit. These are small business owners that aren't making a ton of money and they have a staff to feed and, and to pay. And then here we go, few, several months later and now over over a year later, we I, I hate feeling like I was right in a way, but I, this is just, this is not good. This is not good. And we're still going, we're going to be paying dividends with this probably for years, maybe even decades down the road. Yeah, 100%. And we learned so much about this pandemic in the very beginning, right? Let's go back and look at the emotional stages. And you, you see, I keep bringing up emotion here because it's, we just have to call it what it is and recognize that the world United States is being managed by emotion, not reason and logic. And if we look at it even from the emotional perspective, everybody was on board with flattening this 15-day curve, right? And everybody was on board with let's just take a step back and let's analyze and get as much information as we can, find patterns, and then utilize that to, to move forward properly. So what are the things we learned in the very beginning? Social distancing helps. Okay, no big deal. I don't like people in my space anyway. <laughs> the The pandemic was um, was was really affecting the elderly. It was affecting those uh, those many who were obese. And it was affecting those with underlying conditions. But what we did realize, the positives, were that it wasn't affecting kids. It wasn't affecting young people. We were still questionable about the asymptomatic spread. We also recognized that once you had the virus, you developed immunity, right? We knew those things immediately. So why then would we not say, okay, well, here's what we do know. And we're going to allow businesses to operate knowing that these people are safe. These people are safe. And we're going to, we are going to focus on protecting the vulnerable, those who are vulnerable to this disease. We are going to quarantine the sick or those who are going to easily get sick. And we're going to allow the economy and the free market to operate moving forward concurrent to these protectionist measures, right? No, we didn't do any of that. Instead, we're 15 months later and we're jumbling and arguing with each other. Like people need to step outside of the sphere of emotion right now and recognize the BS that we're facing and the the, the detrimental long-term effect. Like you say, the restaurant industry has been completely decimated. Um, and there is absolutely no argument to be made that it hasn't been. And we are going to feel the effects of the financial, um, um, you know, the financial manipulation, the quantitative easing, et cetera, for decades, as you say. And we're already seeing the inflationary effects in the restaurant industry throughout the entire distribution and supply chain and the effects that it has on labor. And when things started shutting down last year and they were staying shut down. So March, like you said, I, I get maybe if we need to take like a, a quick break. 
in, in the flattening the curve, which we don't hear about. But by April, we're sitting there watching our respective governors on TV get oh, or give us orders and what we can and cannot do, which is so totalitarian that it's it's almost we're, we're going to look back years from now wondering why we didn't do anything about this. So it's April, May of 2020. And the one thing that when people are talking about, oh, you can't reopen now because the virus is still out there. And I'm thinking to myself, and the other one, big one was gyms, was I'm a guy who liked going to the gym. And if I'm not feeling well, way before the pandemic, but especially now, if I'm not feeling 100%, I'm going to skip that day. And I think everybody who wants to go to their favorite restaurant or their gym or their bar or church or wherever they want to assemble, if they're not feeling 100% that day, COVID or not, they're gonna, especially now, they're going to say, look, Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, I will go. So people were actually very, when we talk about we're all in this together, that was part of it. I don't want my gym shut down. I don't want my favorite restaurant and bar shut down. So if I could be the chief vector of an outbreak, if I, God forbid, had something like that, I'm staying home over it. It's common sense. And it's the same thing as going into the nursing homes, that if I'm not feeling well, and I'm not going into a place where there's 80 and 90 and 100-year-olds there, I'm just not going to go. You have to use your common sense. And the thing is, we threw common sense, we collectively in the country, threw it out the window and decided to base everything on fears and pseudoscience. And that's, and that's, and that's where you came into the picture for me, where I started recognizing you, that I've seen you on some of the shows, the Food Network shows and, uh, and Chop Jr. and everything, was that you were the one that was really out there saying, look, we, want, we need to stay open, we need to be creative. So if we could do outdoor dining, and you're talking in Southern California where it's nice all year round, and really there was no data that outdoor transmission was causing like a large or even any outbreaks, and yet they were still shutting you guys down. They were still shutting us down, and I said it. The unintended or intended consequence of shutting down outdoor dining was going to be a spike in cases because it was doing two things. It was driving people into backyard neighborhood-style parties where there's no accountability. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to be held to a standard of accountability, but let's just face the reality of human behavior. When you are in a public setting, you are more accountable, right? You hold yourself to a different standard. If that wasn't the case, then we would all go out every day in our pajamas, right? Um, and why remove that accountability? Why remove the, the, the you know, the, the fact that we can all be managing ourselves with social distancing and, you know, according to their science, wearing masks, what have you. And look, that's exactly what happened. Um, and, and we all just blindly took, took the advice and we ate it up like doggy treats. The fact is, and what you just described is a scenario where the government, right, in an, an, an enterprise or an institution full of questionable, unethical, um, um, fraudulent people by, by both sides standards is the entity or the enterprise that is making decisions based on our health in any absence of they are totally immune to any recourse when it comes to these decisions. So you have this diffusion of responsibility that forces people to make decisions that aren't right because who cares if they make the wrong decision? Why am I going to trust Newsom or or heck or even DeSantis for that matter, one side or the other? Why am I going to trust this role model to make a decision based on my life, the science, when they've proven themselves to be liars when it comes to the science. Fauci said in the beginning, oh, well, the reason I wasn't recommending masks was because I didn't want there to be panic buying. So I lied to everyone. Okay, you just lost all credibility with me. 
But 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 people are like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He's got to lie to everybody. He's the chief doctor of America now based on what the media has made him. And he admits to lying to us in the beginning and day one of the pandemic. That's one hell of a standard to set. And, and, all, and especially with the vaccine stuff that's happening now, that if indeed the, these vaccines are as effective as they say they are, then these restaurants and everything should have been reopened months ago then. And, and you go at your own risk is that we're supposed to protect the vulnerable. I agree with that. I, and, and I agree with that last year. Protect the vulnerable. But let pe- I'm 33 years old. And I know you're, you're not far away from my age as well. And you try to take care of yourself. You take care of yourself for your kids, your wife, uh, you know, your husband, whatever, whoever you are, especially that age, you try to take care of yourself and build your, up, up your immune system. And, but they were doing this. It's like, no, we don't trust you that you're going to take care of yourself. So we're going to tell you to stay home, sit on your couch, uh, go, go watch Hulu, and go get your food delivered. And the problem is, especially in the restaurant industry, is that, okay, yeah, you get food delivered. Well, where does the food come from? Like, we, we treated last year as this is just this, the, magically I press a button on my phone and food shows up 45 minutes later. Okay, but how does that happen with the supply chain? Who delivers the food? Who picks up the food? Who, who gets the food to the Uber Eats driver? Who makes the food in the kitchen? Who hires the people? Who owns that restaurant that you want to continue supporting? So we, we keep forgetting, we, not you and I, but I think a lot of people forgot about that supply chain that had to continue going last year. And they didn't figure, it's like nobody figured this out. It's just it, my food magically shows up and my TV magically turns on with programming. It, it's like I, 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 people really lost their minds, I think, last year. Yeah, and you're right. Um, but many people do just firmly put their trust in, and faith in uh, invisible enterprises that is that are run by who knows who, as so long as they get their indulgences and their needs immediately met. That's all that matters, We're, right? It, it, it's this very surface-level, visceral, emotion-based, uh, needs-based mentality that's permeating a certain demographic of America, which, like the uh, m- you know the metaphorical guy or gal sitting on his couch, getting fatter, losing muscle tone throughout the pandemic, that's also happening to our collective psyche in America, is that we are losing our sense of strength and independence and free thought because we have become uh, addicted to the ability for the government to make decisions for us. You know, I and I use the example. I had, I had a friend of mine who I worked with once, and uh, he was older than I was. I was 30. He was 40. And we and we, we ended up working together. We're polar opposites. He was a scientist. I'm, I'm not. Um, but it was in a position that I was running it. And he told me a story that when he was around 30, he joined the military. And he was he was in the reserves or he was in the army. I don't recall. And I said to him, gosh, what was that like? Was that difficult when you were 30? He goes, heck no. I lived my 20s having to make decisions for myself. I got into the military. They told me when to go to bed, when to wake up, where I was going the next day, when I was going to eat. He goes, I didn't have to make a single decision for myself. It was one of the easiest things that I had to do. Now, he, of course, didn't face any combat or, you know, it was really it was it was uh, a lighter load in regards to the military for him. But the point I'm making is that there's a level now where people are just so 
you, you know, addicted to other people making decisions for them because sometimes it's difficult to make decisions because there's there's a cost benefit analysis that you have to undertake. And, and it's very many times you have to understand what it's like to make the wrong decision and suffer the consequences. And, and many people don't want to do that anymore. And they've created this safety net for people in many ways, whether it's I'm still going to wear my mask, even if everyone around me is vaccinated, because I don't want to send the wrong message that I might not be vaccinated. So everything's about optics. But it, there's that sense of kind of that that Lewis and Clark style of adventure, adventurism, I guess, if that's a word or not of trying to do something and find that purpose. Well, now we're incentivizing people to stay home. And that brings me to my next thing about now that things are open, businesses are reopening, uh, they keep talking about the minimum wage debate, which, by the way, for a lot of people, you know, this is a, it's a secret that I'm going to tell for a lot of people. Not a lot of people make a minimum wage. A lot, It might be a little bit more than minimum wage, but everyone who's talking about we need to raise the minimum wage, they, they don't know one person who's on minimum wage that they would talk to about that. But there are, uh, there are things opened, and especially restaurants and fast food places. And I, go to any one of your – any town, any, wherever you're listening to this, go to your town, go to a Taco Bell, go to a Wendy's, and there, there's – chances are there's probably a sign that's taped up there on the menu that says, we'll be closed until you know 10 o'clock tomorrow because we don't have staff or we don't have enough staff and they've been – uh, th- you know, they've been incentivized to stay home. So if you're working at a fast food place and making $9, $10 an hour, but if the government is giving you $12 an hour to sit on your ass doing nothing, then you're like, well, okay, well, then I'm just, just going to sit on my ass do nothing instead of working and actually making less. So now it's incentivizing people to stay home and not giving them that purpose to continue going out into the workforce. I'm not saying you, you work for everybody. You, you kind of work for yourself. you got to keep a roof over your head. And it, this has become a massive problem for a lot of businesses. It, it has. Um, and look, you know, I, I think that the – Lumping the minimum wage slash universal basic income slash, you know, worker conversation into the post-pandemic era of debates is a bit disingenuous. And I think it actually muddies the waters. And if you genuinely care about these workers and you want to have an have effective change and you want businesses to understand and try and find some some medium ground, those businesses that perhaps do not pay well this is not the way to do it, right? Targeting these businesses and, and vilifying them and then lumping it into the COVID post, you know, kind of COVID era debate isn't the way to do it. It's disingenuous and it's unfair. Have the conversation, have the conversation separately. And I've always said that from day one, you know, we, I became a business owner because I did not want to treat my workers the way that I was treated growing up through the industry, but I didn't, I, I figured my way out. I used these as you know rungs on a ladder and stepping stones to get to the point where I could start my own business. And then I could treat people and model my behavior so that other businesses would follow. And or in a capitalist society, I would be able to garner better workers because I paid a better wage. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Um, but I will tell you this, you know, to give you specifics to those numbers of the, of the you know, 74 million uh, hourly workers in America. Only 1.4% are made up are paid minimum wage. Yeah, but they make it seem like anyone who works at your local Chipotle is making 
you know, making minimum wage. And then also they talk about, you talk about the inflation that could come from it. So uh, it, you, you like your Chipotle burrito that's $8, and we're going to up them to making 15 or $20 an hour. Okay, well, enjoy your burrito costing $15. I mean, it's just, it's common sense. And I think we, and have, then, the, we, we have the wrong and, people making this, making this debate out here. Well, of course. So you're, you're, you're right. And let, let's let's hammer that point home again uh, in a little more detail. We increased our wages across the board by 3%. OK, it, I'm saying hypothetically. Well, then we also increase prices proportionally. Prices get increased proportionally. Everybody's prices go up across the board. So all we've done now is just rise the tide. So now the person that who's making more now has to spend more for all of their goods. So they're in the same exact scenario they were before. It doesn't actually change anything. It distills over a year or two years after all these changes are made into a situation where your the value of your dollar is less for the goods that you receive. And your number now on a paycheck means less, even though the number appears to be higher. It's, it really is incredible. And, and by the way, this isn't just happening in the restaurant industry either. And it's also not just happening with minimum wage. I've seen plenty of places now where I have a buddy who has, who's, owns a landscaping company. And he's putting out on Facebook nearly every day or every other day, I can't find guys to mow lawns for me for 25 bucks an hour. So it's not just, oh, I'm not going to work for $7 an hour. It's I just don't want to work. I mean, if you're, I'm offering you $25 an hour to cut six lawns in a day, and you work eight hours. That's a great paycheck, and instead it's, nah, it's getting hot outside. There's air conditioning, and I'm getting paid just to sit around and play video games. It's, it, there's no incentive, and it's, it's really crippling the restaurant industry. And like I said, okay, so your Darden restaurants and your Red Lobster, and you can afford to you know pay maybe up your prices a little bit or up your uh, – uh, paying your employees, but if you're a local restaurant owner and there's all these demands, you need to up your salaries for your employees. I, you know, you don't know how well you're going to survive through this. Yeah, well, whether you survive at all, but I will say this: I do not agree with the government's rolling back the federal minimum wage, right? Uh, or sorry, the federal unemployment benefits. Those states where we're seeing that they're not accepting the, the extra three hundred. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you why, as a business owner. If people who were going to just sit on unemployment benefits are forced back into the workforce, I don't want to take the time to have to sift through the resumes of those lazy people, right? Like the people who are applying jobs right now are the people I want to hire. Yeah. I, I, I don't the heck with it. You know, let those people sit in their basements. I, I, I just I really don't care. I don't feel like dealing with those people who are then going to come and work and quit and cause problems and be lazy and, and just, just, just stay in the basement. <laughs> it's true. That's true. And that, and that leads me to uh, talking about this uh, 86 restaurant struggle. This uh, Talk a little bit about this. I see it's uh, 86struggle.com and uh, the donation button there. Yeah, so we started 86 Struggle to get – to basically in California, when they shut down outdoor dining, it was like the fourth or fifth time that they had shut down, shut down restaurants and, you know, open, close, open, close. But that also throughout this pandemic, they were misappropriating billions of dollars of unemployment funds because the state of California can't manage their checkbook. You know, they can't manage their way out of a paper bag. So when they shut down the economy and they were like, sorry, all these restaurants are going to have to close. All you guys are going to have no jobs. By the way, it's the beginning of December. We're going into the holidays. 
oh, and you can't get unemployment benefits for a few months because we're trying to figure things out, right? That's why we started 86 Restaurant Struggle, to give people a little bit of a bridge so that they could survive, pay rent, utilities, put Christmas gifts under the tree, try and figure out how they're going to get a job. And it was supposed to be incredibly temporary. Now, fast forward, we're in an interesting paradox because we're raising money for struggling and out-of-work restaurant workers. At the same time, there's restaurants that are having trouble finding workers but you know the system's broken there's still a lot of people who can't find work in certain areas and there's other areas where there's a surplus of jobs available um so right now we're being obviously a lot more hyper focused and targeted on how we're helping people and in many cases we're helping kind of independent owner operators opposed to workers whether it's food truck owners or just cafe owners or people who own catering companies but we're still out there trying to help and raise awareness for certain needs within the industry that's fantastic. 86 Restaurant Struggle, 86struggle.com. There's a Donate Now button right on the homepage of the website if you want to check that out. And uh, I see the goal is a million, but let's get it over that uh, for you guys. Uh, uh, Andrew, if you don't mind, I had a couple of more questions I wanted to ask you. Um, one of them, because my wife, probably as I talk to you right now, my wife is probably watching the Food Network. It's always on. It's background all the time, but we're it's whether it's chopped or... Triple D or what, 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 you know, the 17 Guy Fieri shows that he has on there are probably on. So we have all these questions with, uh, with food in the food industry. And I had never heard of this term until recently, but it was called, it's called ghost kitchens. Yep. And ghost kitchens. And I'm like, uh, and then there's the pop-ups. And obviously, as you know about the food trucks, is this a trend that's going to continue, the, the, the ghost kitchens and the pop-ups? Is this going to continue, especially the way the industry is right now going forward? Uh, or is this, like I said, a trend? Is this going to, you know, the, the bubble will burst and then at some point that things are going to change and go back to the way they, they were? I mean, I think that there's going to be some opportunity for the ghost kitchens to continue, but we're certainly in a bit of a bubble. Um, and you know, these ghost kitchens are all run and managed by Silicon Valley Many t in many cases where, you know, they've got the app piece of it and they're just double dipping across the board. I don't think it's sustainable because I don't think that the demand is going to keep up with the supply of virtual concepts. You know, there's this idea that you can create this virtual concept and people are going to love it. But it takes away the it takes away the the well-known fact that, you know, brand equity is what drives our decisions. And it takes a while to build up brand equity. That's something that a lot of these young entrepreneurs don't appreciate. Let's take in and out, for example. I mean, slow built slowly building the brand and establishing equity and salience you can't just create a brand overnight and suddenly assume everybody's going to love it um it just doesn't work that way and and it seems like that's what the ghost kitchens are chasing right they're chasing that dragon so some of it will stay but i i don't think it's going to be a it's going to be a cornerstone of the industry i've noticed these popping up the ghost kitchens and the pop-ups that are chicken based it seems like this chicken craze and, and i know that now there's a chicken shortage that we have uh, we're supposed to get our second wedding coming up and in the rehearsal dinner they said we'll have to quote you on a price for the chicken wings down the road because there's this chicken shortage and but it but it, some of it's because of where they get the chickens and everything and others is because of the massive amount of with the popularity of the raising canes of the world and all these other chicken restaurants that are happening everywhere 
and uh, I and I kind of see that clout happening. Like you said about Silicon Valley, I didn't know that until recently, and you're starting to find out that oh, this burger joint or this chicken joint is based out of Santa Monica, California, and it's a guy who has like a, a sneaker company that decided to start a pop up. Like, wait, what? What the heck is going on here? I have no idea, but it's it just it seemed it screamed trend to me, and that's why I had to ask you about it. Yeah, yeah. Look, everybody wants to be a restaurateur. This is a way to get in without with a lower cost of entry, lower barriers barriers to entry. Um, you know, we're going to continue to see the same brands getting recycled through and through. It, it's you know, I mean, it's an interesting cycle for the restaurant industry, certainly. But uh, that's all I kind of. You know, I don't want to read my crystal ball too too deep in too much detail. Last thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, I really really appreciate you coming on here. Is um, you know, I was talking to my wife, and we work in we work in media. I work in radio. She works in TV, and we kind of see the writing on the wall with our industries, especially radio, where it's just I, I, the Grim Reaper's behind my shoulder. He doesn't <laughs> he's he's got the scythe with him, but. I, I, you know, it's, it's just, it's just with them. It's not holding it in the air. So I have a job for a little bit longer. Uh, and she's, she works in TV news and, you know, we're, we're not necessarily happy with our industries either and the adaptation or lack thereof. Uh, a, a career move to working in the food industry is that, do you think that would be a fruitful option for somebody like us? And especially for her, because she's a she's a great cook. She sees all these shows. We watch Chopped. We watch, you know, the the worst cooks and everything. And she'd be, oh, I can make that absolutely. I could do this. I can I can put this together. And if she's so confident, should even at this point where she's fifteen plus years into her career, to look at making a change and kind of starting anew and heading into that industry? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's. I always say that it's never too it's never too late to change careers or to you know engage in in your dream but when it comes to food the one piece of advice i give everyone is start small right so keep it simple one item prepare it really well don't overwhelm the menu make sure you're just you're known for one specific thing you do that one thing very 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 well you you can scale that item through various avenues and focus on perfecting that specific item and then go from there. Yeah. And uh, just, and so is this a good time for that? Even though, you know, we're talking about restaurants either going under or having to, you know, kind of go from the well and pay out of pocket and pay their employees. Is, is it, would this still be a good time? Uh, and is this, would it be based on like merit and talent and what you can bring to uh, like a restaurant, for example, like a Slapfish? Now's a good time to get in because you've got a lot of um, second generation spaces that have gone under and it's really inexpensive to get into those spaces. Now, as for the landlord rates, I don't know what those are looking like. I've seen things that are way up and some things that are way down, but definitely a good time to get in and turnkey a restaurant. Excellent. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for uh, for coming on here. I'm looking forward to posting this and uh, and getting the feedback. But again, uh, the the 86 restaurant struggle. It's 86struggle.com. Anything else you want to plug here? No, that's it. That's it. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's great to talk to you, and I hope to talk to you again sometime down the road when hopefully the the world is a little less crazy. But I'm I'm not guaranteeing that. Likewise. Good luck, and if you have any questions about that culinary stuff, just let me know. All right, now that you have finished three Chipotle burritos in 27 minutes and 40 seconds, how are you feeling? That's how I'm feeling.
It's going to be uh, plenty of indigestion. I have heartburn right now from the hot sauce and from probably the food intake as well. <clears throat> um, but I, uh, you know what I feel like? I feel like going to the gym tomorrow. And uh, I kind of, I'm not even going to lie, I kind of want dessert. Are you going to later regret this decision? Uh, I'll let you know. I think, uh, and I think later you'll regret the decision when, uh, when, when I crop dust all over the place. Aw, how romantic. <laughs> I wonder if that text message beep was recorded. Oh, well, why not? Well, that's <laughs> all right, any, that's any final touch. words? Final words. Do um, you have any popsicles left? No. No? Well, that's it for me. Good night. September 9th of 2012, that was. Finished three Chipotle burritos in under 28 minutes. It's tougher than you think it is. You know, the genesis of that was, it was so ridiculous. I was hungry. I didn't really eat anything that day. And we went to, I think we met a friend of, that was my ex-girlfriend, by the way, that you heard her voice. Uh, I'm sure she's probably thrilled to be on this podcast. I'm sure my wife is thrilled that I included her on the podcast too, but you know. Um, but I was there, it was one day, it was a Sunday afternoon, Browns were playing. I think they were playing Philadelphia and Michael Vick. And I was hungry and I wanted to do some kind of competition. I said, hey, what if I ate like, what if I ate like three burritos in an hour? And if I finish it, you, you know, that's it. I, but then if I don't finish, I have to pay you back for it. And she said, if I'm going to pay for this, you're going to have to do it in a half hour. So I'm like, okay, well, then we'll try it. So I had three Chipotle burritos in less than 28 minutes. The first one went down in, I think, two, two minutes. Second one I finished by the nine-minute mark, and the third one, it took me 20 minutes. <laughs> but I did it. I did it. I was happy with myself. You can hear my voice was, like, really, like, that, that is somebody who just did a competition with myself. No one else, for no other reason, I decided to do that. <laughs> Jesus, what a moron I am. But that actually came off the heels of me being in, a, in an eating contest down in Akron, which leads me to this next clip. Okay, let me, let me pause here. So also in 2012, just a couple of weeks, yeah, this is actually like a week and a half or two weeks before the Chipotle clip, I was in a hamburger eating contest in downtown Akron, the place where I'm broadcasting and doing this from right now. Wasn't working there at the time. It was about three years before I did. And they used to have the hamburger festival in downtown Akron, and they were looking for people in the media who would be able to be a part of this to, to try to be in a hamburger eating contest. And this, the hamburger eating contest was much different from the other hamburgers that they were serving and selling at this hamburger festival because it was great toppings. It was fantastic. The problem was our burgers were just burgers. They were like if you were at your backyard barbecue – and they said, oh, ketchup and mustard's over there. Do you want cheese on your burger? No, I want it plain as can be. Not very juicy. These were not very good burgers. They were half-pound burgers, and we had 10 minutes. So we were given 
these burgers. And I just look at my stupid self, my aviators. I look exactly the same. I look exactly the same. <laughs> I was next to Dan Jovic, who was working at Fox 8 in Cleveland at the time. Well, I think he's down in Shreveport, Louisiana now, anchoring. But he was like a reporter doing something there. I'm not sure. But they were looking for media people, and I offered myself. I'm like, screw these other people that I'm working with. I'm going to do this. And we, it was a bunch of us, and we had to go up against an actual competitive, competitive eater. And her name was Sonia Thomas. She goes by the Black Widow. She's this 98-pound Asian woman. Just unbelievable how she was able to take down these burgers. <laughs> Ten minutes. <laughs> Look at Sonia go. At the very beginning. Sonia Thomas learning the technique she learned in finishing school back in high school in South Korea. Okay. Whenever she learned it down, she is doing it. Look at her go. Boy, I'm already starting to feel it here. So I but I'm a good eater. Honestly. So we're in this competition. And I've seen the Nathan's hot dog eating contest over and over again. And I thought it was the most disgusting thing when I would watch Joey Chestnut or Kobayashi and all the other competitive eaters in the major league eating contest that are dunking their hot dogs in cups of water. I mean, I understood it, but I thought it was the most disgusting thing. And especially I'm watching this on July 4th. I'm supposed to have burgers and dogs later, and I'm watching them dunk. And then I realized, I got to do this. So again, no condiments, no ketchup, mustard, nothing, no cheese. It's just bun, burger, bun. And there, I think I have, yeah, I have a Miller Lite. This is the old logo, by the way. This is how long ago this is. This is the old logo, which is the, which the, the updated logo, which now they're back to the old logo again. And... I had to drink a beer, and I was dunking the burgers in water. And it was gross. It was obviously it's gross, and I will never do that again. And it took me about probably maybe two months for me to actually have a hamburger at this time. And the way that I – so fast forward. Maybe I'll play a little bit more here. These guys are doing it. My man is mashing the burgers, getting most of it in. Speak up. Dan Jovic and Tony Mazur are close to finishing their first. Dan's got his first one down. Let's hear it for Dan from Fox. Chris Braylock. Chris Braylock, look at what he's doing. So. Oh, and so what happened is they couldn't get enough media people, so they just like found people in the crowd. And this one dude was smashed. I mean, he's got like three beers, I think, in front of him, I believe. And he was drunk as shit and decided, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do this. And actually did pretty well. So, I mean, you could check it out on YouTube there. But um, I ended up finishing with four and a half burgers. Just four. Now, you could sit there like, oh, what are, what are you? What are you? Four and a half hamburgers in ten minutes? Again, plain burgers. Tasteless plain burgers. And the only flavor that I had to it was adding water and mashing it up with my bottle of Miller Lite that I had. <laughs> so, not a bad performance, not great. How many did Sonia Thomas have? She had 15 half-pound burgers in 10 minutes. How did she do it? 
I, I mean, she must have been watching a lot of pornography. <laughs> because what she did was, and you can see it in this video, it's on YouTube, just Sonia the Black Widow Thomas eats 15 burgers in 10 minutes in Akron, Ohio. By Robert Klein. I wonder if that's the Robert Klein. Anyway, anyways, she cut the burgers with her hands into strips. She broke it apart. She cut it into strips. And then when she was ready, she would dunk these strips of burger. They looked like French toast sticks at this point. And she dunked them in the water and just serpentine down her throat, just bloop, 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 and just finishing this. 15 burgers. It was unbelievable. And again, 98 pounds. I don't want to know what her toilet's like. I don't know how she does it. But I got to say, people ask me how I do it. For, for years, I was actually a very thin, thin kid. Where do you put it? Where do you put it? Well, now I'm starting to gain a little more weight and muscle as I've gotten older. Uh, but yeah, no, it, <laughs> it, uh, I, I've thought about doing certain competitions. I'm not sure what I can do. I am on MajorLeagueEating.com, and I'm trying to see what I could even at least attempt. Hmm. So I'm looking at the records. By the way, Sonia Thomas has the record for eating six and a half pounds of crawfish in 10 minutes. Six and a half pounds. Okay. Uh, burritos. 15 Burritoville burritos in eight minutes. I mean, I did three in 27, so I probably need to... Step it up. Joey Chestnut had 141 hard-boiled eggs in eight minutes. <sighs> 34 large cannolis in six minutes. 34 cannolis. I try to savor it. It's, it's something savory, sweet and savory, not something to pound there. 55 glazed donuts in eight minutes. That depends. Are they Krispy Kreme? Two pounds and two and a half ounces of Hooters chicken wings in five minutes. Bone? With the bone? I, I don't know. Otherwise, they're just chicky nuggies. Matzo balls. Seven 16-ounce portions of Jello in three minutes. Who eats bowls of mayonnaise? Come on. Good Lord. 45 pulled pork sandwiches in 10 minutes. Joey Chestnut. 53 soft tacos from Taco Bell in 10 minutes. I could probably do, in 10 minutes, I could probably do 20. So I'm going to need to practice a little bit more. Uh, I mentioned spam earlier. Uh, no, no, not six pounds of spam in 12 minutes. 75 Nathan's hot dogs in 10 minutes. Joey Chestnut back in 2020. Four pounds, 15 ounces of Spot shrimp in 12 minutes. 11 pounds of cheesecake in 9 minutes by Sonia Thomas. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not going to eat peas, baked beans, no. No, 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 no. Seven, bur seven three-quarter pound thick burgers in 10 minutes. So that's the Hardee's. Seven three-quarter pound burgers in 10 minutes. So she had 15 half-pound burgers in 10 minutes. So she was probably just practicing on us. <laughs> uh, yeah, conch fritters, beef tongue. Seven quarter-pound sticks of salted butter. Come on. Come on. 
I'm reading this and I'm like, you know what? I, I think I'm going to have to do the diet. 103 crystal burgers in eight minutes. So they're like the sliders. Okay. 57 cow brains in 15 minutes. Yeah, I, I think I'll skip. I think I'll skip that. Um, yeah, I'm just going through these. 80 chicken nuggets in five minutes by Sonia Thomas. 80 and five, I've done 20 and five. So it's going to take me a little bit. So now that I look at it, I think maybe the chicken nuggets I can probably do, at least compete and not embarrass myself. Where's French fries? I can do fries. I can absolutely do the fries. Not, not beat everybody. Probably can't beat everybody, but for God's sake, at least I'd like to try. Um, funnel cake, cheesesteaks... 23 six-ounce or six-inch cheesesteaks in 10 minutes, Joey Chestnut. So it's not just hot dogs, folks. I'm going to get them on the podcast. I'm going to have to do that at some point. Yeah, I don't know. What can you do? Let me know in the comments. What eating competition would you like to be a part of? Because uh, uh, I, I can, I could like, I'd like to try something. and pro Maybe it's something that like, I don't want anymore. My wife is a really good cook, but I got to say my, my last girlfriend, not the one that you heard in the video there just a few minutes ago, my last girlfriend, made, she was one of those who went to the store and she got the five meat thing for 20 bucks. Like you go in the frozen food section and they have the meat there. So the chicken, the pork, the whatever. And you get five of them for like $20, just frozen. And I, I honestly, I have a pretty good palate. I'm kind of picky with my eating, but I have a pretty good palate, and I can distinguish certain things. Couldn't figure out if she was making me chicken, pork, or beef. It was like mystery meat. It really was. So I thank God that I'm married now married to a great cook. I don't know what my wife would make me. I, it would have to be fries or chips or something, because I would like to be in some kind of competition and showcase my skills. I want a, I want a do-over for that. I actually, I think I was like second worst by having four and a half in 10 minutes. I embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass myself anymore. Or would it be considered cheating if I did a hamburger competition where I squirted in a little mustard or ketchup or barbecue sauce just to, you know, just, just to get it down, just so I don't, I'm not gagging afterward. <laughs> actually, you know what's funny? After that, I had more beer and fries. I went up to the, there was one of those fry places that the, the like the carnies have where you get the... The squirt bottle of of vinegar, and I just poured so much salt into a bucket of fries. And my girlfriend at the time's like, uh, you just ate all of those burgers. You're complaining how full you are and you want to eat. And I said, well, yeah, I need variety. For God's sake. I'm not going to sit there and eat one course. i got to change it up a little bit. So that was a little bit of my food competition in uh, at one time. So hope you enjoyed this podcast here with Andrew Gruel. Um, and, and support his restaurant if you can, if you're out there. Support uh, 86 Restaurant Struggle if you can. Uh, and go to 86struggle.com to check that out. Thanks, everyone. I really appreciate you folks listening to this podcast. And, and if you're still listening right now and you put up with me ranting for the last, uh, what, 15 minutes or so, uh, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for subscribing. I will talk to you next week. Got a great podcast for you. I don't even know what it is, but I know it's great. <laughs> See ya.